Welcome to a brand new episode. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show. Hello and welcome to The Python Show. This is uh, Mike Driscoll, your host. And today we have my friend Rodrigo. Um, basically, I've known Rodrigo from Twitter, but we've also um, just chatted a little bit on other platforms too. And anyway, welcome to the show, Rodrigo. Let's uh, chat. Hey there, Mike. Thanks for having me here. Um, good morning. I guess it's morning for you. Good afternoon for folks listening from my time zone. <laughs> or good evening, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's good nice to have being, you. Nice being here. <laughs> so I, I like to kick off the show by asking my guests to tell us a little bit about um, about yourself, what you're up to, and your journey into programming itself. All right. So how far back do you want me to, to start? However far back you'd like to go is fine. I it's up to you. Okay. I like to tell I like to tell this short story. Well the thing is I think that one thing that defines me really well is the fact that or that's important to understand more or less who I am is that I really like solving problems. And and I don't mean the like the, the, the maths problems that you get in school, right? It's not you and me have both together we have twelve apples and I have three more apples than you, so how many apples? It's not <laughs> that's not really the type of problem. It's just being challenged. <laughs> being challenged, yeah. And and that's why I studied maths at university. And that's also why I got into programming in the first place. But you can trace that all the way back to when I was a kid, like very young. And supposedly I didn't know how to write. Uh, well, and I didn't because I was young. I just, yeah. I knew how to draw. Poor mm -hmm. me, but I knew, I knew how to draw. And one day a, I was drawing and my father, I think it was my father, asked me if I was drawing letters because I was drawing random squibbles, squiggly, mm -hmm. squiggly lines. And I said I was actually drawing numbers. So so that was fun. And obviously they weren't <laughs> numbers. Yeah. But yeah, it turns out I've I've enjoyed maths for a long time. And yeah, so then I ended up studying maths at university, which was lots of fun. Uh, because it yeah. had yeah it had nothing to do with the maths I learned in school and which I guess most people kinda learn in schools all over the world. So yeah, university maths was very different, very interesting. And when I was 13, I think, a not at university, uh, obviously, mm -hmm. I was 13 and a friend of <laughs> mine turned to me and said, Rodrigo, I think you should learn Python. I think you'll like it. And I don't know, I didn't know anything about Python, so I, I checked Python out and I've been doing it ever since. So I guess uh, my friend was correct. Uh, I did enjoy Python. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's how I... I said 13, I was 15, sorry. I started Python when I was 15. Yeah. So that's how that's I got awesome. into it. Mm -hmm. I have a cousin who, got, who did a math degree. How far did you go with math? Like, what's some of the upper level classes I, you took? Uh, you mean how far, like what degree I got? Well, that or, or just like, for example, like did you do like calculus four or differential equations or, you know, mm. what? I don't know what the, what it is in Europe, so I don't know what they call the upper level math classes. Maybe they have different names there. 
Right. Um, yeah, I didn't have a class that was called Calculus 4. I have a master's in applied maths. Okay. Um, so I, I guess I did the standard stuff for the bachelor's. Standard as in like across all maths degrees, I did calculus, algebra, linear algebra, some geometry, you know, stuff like that, some topology. And then, yeah. I don't know if that rings a bell. I'm I'm not entirely sure how how well you know your your cousin's syllabus. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I'm just, I'm just like curious because she sometimes talks about stuff that I'm like I don't even know what kind of math that is. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah. No, but I didn't get into a PhD, so not super advanced. Um, I I feel like masters is more than advanced for most people. So. Well, that would be a whole podcast on talking about how people are just afraid of maths because they're poorly taught, not because they can't do it. So yes, <laughs> but I, I'm not sure. Yeah, that I, yeah. <laughs> people are people are afraid of math, and I, you know, I didn't care for it at first, but I really started liking it in high school, and you know now. You know, people say computer programming, you have to know math and you have to know high level math. And I'm like, that's not true. You have to know like algebra and that'll get you through most programming problems. Yeah. Um, you know, calculus and statistics are nice for very niche problems. Unless you unless you like trying to, you know, do like guidance for like a car or a missile or a tractor or whatever, you're probably not going to need a lot of those advanced math subjects yeah i i think you're right i well i've heard actually both sides of the debate i hear people that really that say yeah you really need to know a lot of maths and then people who say you don't and i don't think you do so you don't need lots yeah. of maths to be able to be a general decent programmer yeah um, i'm just saying from my own experience i've almost never needed more than algebra yeah, yeah, essentially, uh, except for and like you said, like niche programming on something specific. Yeah, um, there, there are of course, you know, all, there's always caveats to that. There's yeah, of course, <laughs> of course, but I do, I do think, and sadly, I haven't taken the time to verify this, so this is just a a gut feeling that I have, and I might also be just taking myself thinking too highly of myself but uh, <laughs> but i i have this <laughs> this feeling that people who study maths at a certain level learn some skills that are very useful in programming mm -hmm. and i'm not claiming mathematicians are the only ones that learn it that's not what i'm saying but i do feel like the ability to to look at a problem and just get rid of everything that's not essential to the problem, boil a problem down to the to the core structure, for example. That's the mm -hmm. thing mathematicians tend to do well, and it's useful in programming. So, yeah. 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 I also think that uh, the abstractness of math helps helps you to better understand computer programming in a, in a lot of cases. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. So even though... Nowadays, I do mostly programming and not maths. I think my maths background tends to be helpful. Yeah. yeah. 
I would think so. Mm -hmm. So let's get back on track. Uh, what yes. are your favorite uh, <laughs> Python packages or modules right now? My favorite Python packages or modules? Well, I always go back to a couple of modules from the standard library that I just absolutely love, both from a usefulness point of point of view, but also from a I'm going to say elegance. I, I, I feel like the Eater Tools module and the Func Tools module are both very elegant. They have very elegant tools, and I use them very, very often. It's not like it's a creative answer, but it's it's my answer. And yeah, I just I just go back to those two modules very, very frequently. Yeah, they're good modules. So yeah, so I like those two a lot. I've recently I've taken to I've started to appreciate NumPy mm. better because of and again not very not very creative but I have a different appreciation for NumPy because I I work a bit with APL which is a mm -hmm. uh, a very old programming language not very well known but very old mm -hmm. and and APL is array oriented so like the main paradigm in APL is array oriented programming <clears throat> and that's sorry go ahead no i'm just i'm just listening i got yeah you're just <laughs> nodding along okay perfect mm -hmm. yeah so so APL is array oriented and so learning APL was a very interesting experience and then we can talk about it later and then and then what? And then NumPy tries to bring that array-orientedness into Python. And so I've, I've appreciated, I've started to appreciate NumPy more because it does allow you to use patterns and ways of thinking that you couldn't in, in vanilla Python. So not only mm -hmm. for the numerical calculation kind of stuff, but also like the way of thinking about problems. NumPy lets you use different ways of thinking. So I enjoy that. And also, I might get, yeah, no, another thing I've been enjoying, now very different from the other three. It's the mandatory textual uh, reference because it's what I've been working on and it's been lots of fun. So textual also, also one of my favorites in the, the present day, at the time of recording. <laughs> well, it's, it's good that you like uh, working on a product. I mean, you, you enjoy working on the package itself, but you also enjoy using the package. I mean... Yeah, because I, I still don't believe it works. I mean, I'm working on it, so I know how it works. But every time mm -hmm. I see it work, I... Yeah, I don't want this to feel like an ad. So let me, stop me if, if I'm... <laughs> but, but this is <laughs> also very fine. genuine, so... <laughs> yeah. I think it's a cool library, too. And I, I, I'm planning to use it. I'm planning to learn it much, much better this year, so... Mm, okay. I've, well, I've seen you've written about it in the past, so... You know some things already. Yeah, I, I know the basics, but I, I want to I want to start learning it like I like I learned a WX Python long ago. I I got really good at WX, and I can I don't hardly even need to look at the docs for that anymore. And right, like it's just to, muscle memory. Yeah, I'd like to get at least one more Python GUI framework where I'm like that, where I can just you know, it's it's just muscle memory. It's it's easy to do. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's it's useful to have a couple of tools you can just use. You can whip yeah. them out and 
gets something done. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully I can get it, get to that. And it's been really busy already this year. So anyway, how did you uh, get into content creation? Hmm. Well, I guess not a very interesting answer, but essentially, essentially it just happens, you know, because I was, no, let's, let's trace back. So I've always enjoyed helping my classmates when, when in school, if someone had a doubt and if I knew the answer, I would love to walk them through the thought process that would take them to the answer. So it wasn't, of course, I got better at these parts when, as I grew up and as I matured, but it wasn't necessarily about showing them the answer. It's about taking them through the process of, so mm-hmm. in other words, really teaching, right? Yeah. So turns out I really enjoy teaching and, uh, Parallel to that, when I started university, more or less at the time I started university, so not because of, but at the same time, I created a blog because I wanted to have a place where I could jot down some notes about random programming projects that I made. You know, if I created a piece of code that did something interesting, I would want to be able to write down a couple of paragraphs, say, hey, I did this in this way and that way and just post a picture or something. And the idea would be to have a place I could refer to, to see what I've done. It wasn't necessarily to show it to others, but this, yeah, it just grew, the blog grew, and apparently a couple of people enjoy reading what I write. So I started writing more often, and then I started sharing, and then I I met Sandeep on Reddit and Sandeep, took me down a path that eventually led me to Twitter and to writing books and things like that. So, so that's actually how it started. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And that, that feedback loop has keeps you motivated or. Yeah, it does. It does. I, th- I think I would, I'd keep blogging if no one read it because I really enjoy writing. With the occasional comments or the occasional realization that someone actually read what I wrote gives me motivation to write much more. So so it's definitely a feedback loop that keeps me going. That yeah, keeps me going. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely do it for myself as well. My, because it's kind of my, my brain dump. I know I can't store everything in my head. Yeah, exactly. So I find I find writing as helpful. It also helps organize my thoughts, and then someone else will comment on it, and that that helps. So, oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I have maybe I should keep track. I have no idea of how often or how many times I've gone back to things I've written and that I've forgotten. I remember I've wrote, I've written about them, but I don't remember exactly what I wrote. And so I I go and check how something worked or what I mm-hmm. did in the past to solve some problem. So. It's definitely a very useful tool for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm yep. Yeah, okay. I'm sure you also <laughs> That's exactly why why I like it. I'm like <laughs> I know I wrote on this topic. I know I know how to do this. 
Hannah, how do I do this? <laughs> yeah, I just need to yeah, go back and check. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's also there's also a very cliche thing. I'm sure you agree, which is when you write, it also helps you learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I've written about I've written about topics that I wanted to learn about, and I decided, okay, I'll just write about this, and that forces me to research and to think about it and to come up with examples and understand mm-hmm. how things work. So I've. I've also used it as a learning aid. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll pick a package that I'm like, I really want to learn this package. So I'm going to write an article about it. <laughs> no, yeah. You, you, you can't write it, write about it if you don't know it. So you better learn it if you're yep. writing about it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so which tools do you like to use the most when you're doing content creation? I knew that question was coming. But I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure. I have the answer. So, what do you mean? Like, what types of tools? I. So you know, some people like they just use like a um, a text editor, or some people might use like Grammarly to. Mm, I see. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So essentially, things that help me. Yeah, like your assistive tools. And for for myself, I I use Grammarly a lot. For example, um, okay. I use like Carbon for for image screenshots, but I also use, what is it, Snapify? I use yeah, that Snapify. too. Yeah, Snapify, yeah. So. Yeah, so I did I did use Carbon in the past, but nowadays I use I use Snapify for actually a, a bunch of different things. So I use Snapify to, to share code screenshots, annotated screenshots, so I can write text and draw arrows and things like that, so that's brilliant. And I use it also when I, when I give talks. I, I used to use PowerPoint, but nowadays I use Snapify to create my my talk slides, so that's very hmm. useful. That's um, cool. Yeah, it is. They, it's a fairly recent feature, so I use it a lot. I also like to use Canva for like basic designing things, thumbnails or book covers or things like that. I'm terrible at design, but but Canva. Canva gives me the tools to do the basic things. Yeah. So that's that's one. What else do I like? I think these are the two. Uh, nowadays, sometimes I use generative AI to create abstract images if I need some background or something like that. But I I, I try not to use too many tools. You know, I've I've tried setting up like a very well defined structured content creation uh, pipeline with notion and databases and calendars and things like that and then i just drown in the complexity when i when i what i want is to teach python yeah so i try to keep it as simple as possible yeah i agree i i think i i've, I've experimented with a ton of different tools and some of them have been really helpful and some of them i've just tossed to the wayside Right. Toss to the wayside. I didn't know that expression. Yeah. So, yeah, I tossed Notion to the wayside. It's a it's a brilliant tool, just not for I needed. I do use Obsidian sometimes as a as a note-taking app. So, whenever I, for example, right now it, in, at the time of this recording, I've been thinking about and writing about decks and I have a like a note on Obsidian 
that's about DEX and I'll dump every single use case and every single example of usage of a deck, I'll drop it there. And then I'll be able to share share some of those examples on Twitter or write about them on my blog. But I have like a, a place where I can dump everything, you know, and see, oh, there's a bunch of different things I've seen decks used for. And I can extract the useful ones. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I do use Obsidian for that nowadays. That's nice. Yeah. There's lots of there's lots of really handy tools out there. You just gotta find the ones that work for you, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Or, yeah, exactly. Because right? some people um, you know, they, they they like Microsoft Word and other people they're like they like Max uh, pages and so everyone likes their own their own tool set. Mm-hmm. Yep, to each their own. Absolutely. So I thought it'd be fun to talk about um, how you ended up working at Textualize, or I think you mentioned you had stories about interesting stories about working at your last couple of jobs, actually. Right. Yes. Yes. Because I, well, I mean, the, the the stories I'm about to tell, I guess, they're becoming more and more common in this day and age because of the internet. But the when I look at my friends and the people I know, they still got their jobs. And it, there's no problem with that. So I'm just stating a fact. They got their jobs mostly through the more, let's call them traditional means. You know, They apply for a job or they get reached out on LinkedIn or something. They go through a couple of interviews and then they're hired. Yeah. And, and again, there's no problem with that. But turns out for the last three jobs I have, which if you if you don't count like doing research at university and tutoring for all of my jobs i never i never got hired through that more traditional process and so let's see for the apl i mentioned apl right i worked with apl because i worked for a company that um what do you call it? Their product is an APL implementation. Sorry about that. So there's a couple of open source implementations. Theirs was closed source okay. and I was working for Dialog, which was that company. And the reason I got to know them was because I was spending, at the time, I was spending a lot of time on a website, which was called, which is called codegolf.stackexchange.com. So it's it's from the same network of websites as Stack Overflow, mm-hmm. but this one is the CodeGolf community. And for for the people listening that don't know what CodeGolf is, it's when you have a problem, a very well defined problem, and you want to solve it with programming, obviously, mm-hmm. but with as few bytes of code as possible. Okay. So hence CodeGolf, because in golf you want to get the ball in the hole the fewest amount of shots with Kogolf, it's shortest amount of code. Right. And so I was, sorry, I was thinking because I have to, to think and then translate to English. So it's lots of things <laughs> happening in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like I said, I was spending lots of time in that community. And most of the time I spent there was actually not code golfing, but sharing problems for others to golf. And by doing that, 
I would get exposed to lots of crazy hacks that you can do in all sorts of different languages. But I also started to notice that the people that were really into Kodolf, the people that spent hours on that every week, they used golfing languages. So languages that were designed specifically for the purposes of Kodolf. And these languages, they're actually very interesting from a from the point of view of how they work. And they tend to look very cryptic because, because what people do then is they take your letters and your most, most common characters and they give them lots of different meanings. So they overload each letter as much as mm-hmm. possible and they use all sorts of interesting symbols because they want to be able to express complex ideas in a few characters, right? So they just yeah. pack as much as possible. Okay, and so those things, they look they look like garbage. They look like random characters that were spit out by, by a random generator. And among those weird-looking languages, I found APL. I found this language that have interesting-looking symbols and that turned out to be quite good for code golf. And so I thought it was one of those... Yeah toy golfing languages mm-hmm. and I'm almost done I swear and then one day <laughs> and one day I started learning APL and I joined the chat room where people would talk about APL and I noticed that there was one person there most of the time and that single person was teaching me APL and one day out of the blue he turned to me and asked Hey, Rodrigo, how would you like to come and intern with us? And at that moment, I realized, wait, there's a company behind this language. This is not a toy language. And mm-hmm. He's asking if I want to intern with them. So this, I'm sure this, this must be a thing, right? Yeah. So then I sent my CV and, and then I interned with them. And then I stopped working for them because I finished, I had to finish my master's thesis. And then I went and I worked with them for... What, one year, one year and a half, I think. So just because I was in a chat room. So that was very interesting. And for it me, is. a very different experience. Yeah. Huh. That's really neat. Yeah, it, it was. And then and then for textualize, so for textual, working on textual, it was a similar thing. Less, more, more out in the open because I've... People have an easier time accessing Twitter than the other chat room I mentioned. But I, I was posting on Twitter and then I met Will McGugan, which is the the guy behind Reach, uh, a very com- popular, I meant popular, a very popular um, library. And we interacted a couple of times. We would sometimes we would comment under each other's posts. And then Essentially, one day he, no, so first I told him, you know, I I imagine I see myself working with you in, in a couple of years. And he said, yeah, but I think I, I would, I would see working, I see myself working with you as well. And then a couple of months later, he messaged me saying, hey, we're, we're hiring two positions. We're, is this how you say it? We have two positions. Yeah, we're hiring. We have two positions. And we can consider one of them being remote because I was not interested in, in moving to Scotland. Yeah. And yeah, so then then I did go through the 
the process of solving a you know just trying to work on an issue on github see if it's if it looked like it would work out and then then they hire me but it was i essentially just found a job on twitter basically if you boil it down yeah that's really interesting that's cool yeah you definitely had the the non-traditional way of of getting them maybe i'll get your next one through youtube Oh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Everything can happen. Anything can happen. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I th- I think it's nice because there's, and it's not like you asked, but I'll say it either way. Because some, some people might say that I'm very lucky. And I mean, I am to, to lots of extents. I am, I am very lucky. But at the same time, there's this, phrase that I really like, which is luck is when opportunity meets preparation, right? Mm-hmm. And I was lucky in, in essentially finding Will out of the blue on Twitter, but one thing that helped Will notice me was, for example, all of the things I was sharing on Twitter and all of the things I had written on my blog. And that wasn't luck, right? I, I had to be there and I had to do it. And if people do things, if people do more things, they will be more exposed to luck. So, yeah, yeah, it's not it's not sure, it's not guaranteed, but it increases well, your no. chances of being lucky. <laughs> yeah, you get your name out there, more people are going to notice. So, yeah, exactly. So I'm curious, what do you uh, like or dislike about working on open source projects? So my experience with open source projects is mostly my experience with textual. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I really like is also one of the things that I don't like, which is it's it's out there in the open. Right, mm-hmm. so you can see. So the good thing is, you can see everything that's being done, yeah. and as a as a learning opportunity, that's that's just insane. That's excellent for your growth. I have before textual. I had written Python professionally, but every single time I had done it. I was the best on my team because I was the only one. So by definition, I'm the best, right? Which is good for your ego, but not good if you're trying to learn and if you're trying to get better or it's not ideal. And so working on open source has that excellent benefit of giving you the possibility of seeing everything that's being done. And so I can Mm -hmm. read all of my colleagues' code and I can see what other people try to create and they can see I get exposed to different... I get exposed to pull requests from different people who think about software in different ways. So that's very enjoyable. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I like it. At least I like it. But then the reverse side of that coin is everyone sees what you're doing. So if you <laughs> if you screw up, if you screw up, uh, it's not like it's terrible. Yeah, but it's I know what you're saying need, though. Yeah, you need to be aware and you need to to be 
comfortable with the fact that if you're trying and if you're well-intentioned, then failing isn't terrible, you know, because yeah. it's going to happen. And so I think you just have to... So it's after you get used to it, it's not a bad thing. You just need to get used to the fact that you will get things wrong and people will point them out because that's what code reviews are for, right? So there's a bunch of yeah. pull requests that I... Some of them were closed. Some of them I had to refactor a couple of times. Some of them I had to refactor a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, like the initial shock. Or in the beginning, it might be a shock, but it's actually a good thing. So Yeah. It helps you grow. You start... you. You learn from those experiences. That's... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. If you pay attention to what's being said, you can, yeah, you can learn a lot because I mean, hopefully, I, yeah. I think this is something that a lot of, a lot of junior and maybe even senior programmers don't understand is when you switch roles. So like I switched, I recently switched to a new role a few months ago. Okay. I'm the new guy but they consider me a senior programmer because I have so much experience. Right. But you don't know the tech stack. And so, you know, I'll put up a PR and I'm like, if this looks good, this is going to work and I'll break (laughs) stuff because I don't know the tech stack. I don't realize that I'm going to break something that the code worked on my machine, you know? And so that's just something, that's just something that comes with programming. And you start, once you've learned, Yes, you might break something, and that's okay. Yeah, you know, I just think more, more, more developers just need to understand that's that's normal. That's just part of of doing part work. Of being, yeah, yeah, part of being an engineer is well, you're gonna mess up sometimes. Sometimes you you know crash the server, the website will go down. You know, it happens. That's why you have a backup. <laughs> you right. <know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You better have a backup. <laughs> so, folks listening, if you don't have backups, go get them now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's 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 part of it. It's not like you're not supposed to fail. Great. Uh, I I there's this. I know this word. I just know how to say. It, but it's great, gratuitous. Yeah, you're gratuitously. Su- yeah. yeah, you're not supposed to fail gratuitously. But so you're supposed to do your best not to fail. Mm-hmm. But you'll still fail, and that's that's when when it's okay. It's when you when you did everything you could, but you still fail yes. because you didn't know, you hadn't learned yet, or I don't know. Well, yeah, and when you put it up for review, I mean, if it passes the linter and MyPy and whatever other tooling you have in your CI system, as far as you can tell, it works until you find out that it doesn't. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, you did your best to. Yeah, well, personally, I did have a couple of those. Uh, those situations, you know, all of the tests pass, so it, it looks like it's working, and then it turns out a couple of hours later there's someone saying, oh, hey, why is my code broken? And turns out, oh, <laughs> I, I had just messed up. So, yeah. yeah, not the most pleasant experience, but you'll... It's, yeah, it's, that's... it's, part, it's part of the, the job, I any, guess. Any complex uh, piece of software yeah, will have unexpected consequences when you go to do something with it, so. Yeah. Well, there's one thing, I, I wonder if you have any experience with this kind of situation, but one other thing that I 
appreciate working on open source is when you have some level of traction, you get you get issues with people asking for features, reporting bugs, you get pull requests. Mm-hmm. Um, and so interacting with these random people, like these random human beings that that either found bugs or want new features or are or pushing code that fixes a bug or that introduces a new feature. So all of those interactions, mm-hmm. I think they 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 bring an, uh, a new flavor to this job. So it's not just about writing code; it's also you know working with others and either show. What do I want to say? Be a I mentor. Th- I I wouldn't say be a mentor because I don't I don't think I'm in a position to be a mentor. But what I f- yeah, what I want to say is that it, it makes the job more interesting. You know, the fact that you have to have these interactions and it's just it's just another thing you have to bear in mind. You know, it's the interactions and and making sure that you're you communicate well with others and especially when you have to say something like, Hey, thanks for your pull request, but we actually can't merge this because for some reason or because we we actually don't want this feature or it's the PR is not in a like the, yeah, I don't know. It's and it's you have to be sensitive, you know, when yes. talking to us. You gotta say, look, uh, maybe if we do X, Y, and Z, may, then maybe we can merge this. Or yeah, so it's yep. it's, a, it's an interesting part of the job. Yeah, as as is something else that I think um, probably junior developers could could learn from is as you become more senior, you have to go back and do a lot more code review. You don't get to do it quite as much um, coding yourself. You're going to be the person who's reviewing the code and kind of a gatekeeper. Right. And part of your job is to reject code that isn't up up to um, the quality to the that you want. Right. Yeah, up to standards. So you need to be very diplomatic because you don't want to just say your code sucks. You want to say this code could work if you do X, Y, and Z, like you said, or you might be like, um, this doesn't actually match the feature request or the, or this doesn't fix the bug. Right. And, you know, go back to the drawing board. I think you're close. You probably just need to fix, you know, whatever that particular thing is. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You can learn a lot from learning from your junior programmers. I, I learn a lot from mine. It's really fun to learn you know how they think because they they they're brand new and they have they bring that new learning from they got from university or their their first job. Mm-hmm. They have all this this different kind of knowledge that I didn't have when I was when I started, and so it's really interesting to see what they come up with. But sometimes it's wrong, and you have to correct them in a nice nice way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's 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 a difficult thing to do, I think. Especially for for the four of us, so for for us inside the team, we we interact more often. So it's I don't have to be very afraid of hurting their feelings if I write in a neutral tone because we interact every day, and so it's fine. But maybe my neutral tone will not be well understood by someone who I have never met or interacted with, and so I have to be, like you said, yeah. more diplomatic and. 
and make sure that we agree that we both want the same thing. It's yeah. just not something else needs to happen. Something, yeah, some code needs to change or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I think as long as we're kind to the the person who has put up the who put in the work to put up a PR or a bug, I think it'll be fine. But sometimes you can't fix it for whatever reason, you know, or yeah. you, it's, it'll just take too much time to fix. So it's going to be on the backlog. It's not something that you don't want to fix. It's just not going to happen in the timeline right, that no. the person wants it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that sometimes happens. It has happened to us for someone like makes a PR for something. And the PR was actually, if I recall correctly, the PR was actually pretty decent, but they happened to be fixing a bug on a piece of code that was being refactored as part of a, a bigger overhaul of like a part of the code. And so we couldn't actually merge the PR because it was conflicting with the with the other larger one. So yeah, you have to tell the person, look, this is this is being also this is also being changed elsewhere. Would you mind yeah. waiting? Yeah, we ask I think we ask that person to wait. Okay, can you wait a bit while we finish that? Yeah. And most that people sense. react well, so Yeah. I think in general people you know, they they, they want to be part of the part of the program. They wanna they wanna help make their their favorite package better. So if you have that kind of attitude, then hopefully you'd have a good attitude about why you couldn't help write the second. Yeah. Yeah, that's been my experience so far. Cool. So I think I have one more question. Yeah. So what are you working on now besides Textualize? So on a more personal level, is that the way the... Yeah, sure. Or if you, you know, if you started working on working on your own like personal packages or, you know, whatever. So up until up until today I haven't been able to to make any like major contributions to the Python ecosystem in the form of packages. I I, I don't know, for some reason I haven't had it's not for some reason, I just I just haven't found anything that I wanted to do and that couldn't already be done. So I think that was essentially it. I do have like a, a tiny package. It's ridiculous how little code it is, but it, it's, I think it's quite useful, at least for me, which is like when you have a, when you have an error in your code and when it prints the traceback, it will also print a link that you can click to Google the error automatically. And so it's, it's very little code. Yeah. But for for people learning, it's it's it has proven quite useful. Um, that is cool. Yeah. So it's that's like the only useful package I've created. So in terms of packages, <laughs> there's that. I don't understand how there's people that have 10, 15, 20 packages, and all of them are, I don't know, somehow useful, and they do things. I don't and, know. I don't understand how that's even possible. But I mean, yeah. kudos to them, and that that's great. I, I just I don't, I can't conceive the context in which those things happen. I just I can't. Yeah, uh, there, there's some people <laughs> who are just like um, I think it's Sebastian put out. Um, uh, what is it? Typer and yes, Typer and Fast API. Fast and, API and some the uh, SQL Alchemy, I think. That's no, not Alchemy. Uh, no, it's it's, it's some. 
I can't think of what it's called now. I know what you're talking about, though. But yeah, he's put out like three or four major packages, and they're yes. all super popular. Yeah, I'm... and I know he works on them heavily too. I'm like, where do you find the time? <laughs> I don't know. He probably doesn't eat, sleep, socialize. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. insane. He's a uh, he's just a busy guy. So mm-hmm. a busy bee. Yeah, I was thinking if there's anything else like interesting to talk about. As as far as is your uh, things Pyth- is the Python Py Don'ts book coming along? Is there like any new updates for that coming out? Or it, it depends on what you define as new. So I'm I I tend to work on chapters on that book. So I don't I haven't defined what the end of the book will be. Like how so what I'm what ha- what I, sorry the idea I've been entertaining. Uh, more recently is that I'll actually split the book into slightly smaller books because the book just keeps on growing and I have yeah. literally dozens of chap- uh, ideas for chapters mm-hmm. and I don't think it's reasonable to write a book that is I don't know 1000 pages long probably so yeah probably not very reasonable <laughs> so I <laughs> So I've been thinking of splitting that book specifically into, I don't know, a, a book with a more inter, uh, beginner-focused chapters, maybe one mm-hmm. book that focused on, I don't know, all sorts of dunder methods, another one on more advanced topics, for example. Yeah. yeah. But it's that because... Sorry, sorry. No, I so said that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it does make some sense in my head. But because I don't, I don't think it's a... Or at least for now, I don't have a, a specific final goal in mind. I just let it grow organically. So one day I have an idea, something I want to write about at that time, I'll write mm-hmm. a new chapter and I'll publish it. And I think I'll be doing that for some time, you know, just write chapters. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do have other books I work on and other ones that are more well-defined. So I know when they'll end or when they have ended. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. That's cool. I'm glad it's still progressing. It's not just you're not having writer's block or something. <laughs> yeah, no, no writer's block. I'm I'm blocked writing on that because I'm writing on something else, but no writer's block. I, I still have plenty of ideas for, for things to cover. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, I think that wraps up my questions for, for this episode. So thank you so much for being on the show, Rodrigo, and I hope you'll You'll come back someday. Thank you very much for having me, Mike. It'll it'll be a pleasure to come back. Absolutely. <laughs> Great. And thanks everyone for who's joined us to listen. And we'll see you next time. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show. 